You ever been bit by horsefly? It hurts. Uh, snap. Welcome to another episode of the Youth Ministry Booster Podcast. My name is Zach Work, and I'm here with my best friend and co-host... Chad Higgins. And we're here to talk today about swimming. <laughs> Not everybody knows this. I, I feel like there's like little parts of our life that are important to share because it really like colors and shapes who we are. Uh, Chad, one of the things that you told me is... You don't always know what's weird about yourself until other folks point it out. Um, I always bring swim trunks when we travel because I will – if there's a body of water, I have to get in it. Like if there's a pool, a a lake, a beach, a hot tub, if there's water, I want in. And like you used to give me so much like like critique for that. Like – but you also like to swim too, just not at other people's pools. I do like to swim. (laughs) I just feel like – the, I like it too much. The hotel pool without your family. <laughs> just the solo guy swimming. Just single adult male. He's just jumping in. 9 p.m. Just jumping let in. Let me ask you this. Okay. Okay? You're at a hotel pool with yeah. your family. Yeah. Also swimming. Your children are very excited yeah. to swim in the hotel they, they, pool. My boys love this. We go to try to swim like twice a week. Now. Okay. Okay. You, you picture yourself in this scenario. Yeah. Me and the kids. You're at the Marriott. Yeah. Right? Scratchy towels. Yeah. Hilton family, just because we're trying to get more points. <laughs> fair, yeah. fair. If they're listening. Now, 35-year-old adult male bearded. Yeah. Chest hair a plentiful. By himself <laughs> walks in. Just a businessman with his business. You're documents. telling your children to stay on this side <laughs> of the pool. There's probably a little bit of an invisible curtain if we just sit next to. <laughs> and if this children do not go by yeah, that. We're man. gonna stay in lane two. Yeah, that's uh, we don't cross over. But but I, I mean I, I get it. I get. It. But as the 35 year old male who swims alone, you like you alone, like laps. But I, I, I try to I try to stay in my own lane. You know, if I see the family playing on that side, I'll, I'll stay in the the deep end if they're in the shallow or the shallow and they're deep. Um, it is difficult to swim in the shallow end, though. That's hard okay. to know what to do. We talked about this earlier, and you wanted to bring it up because you you want feedback from our friends. So that's my question. Um, in the shallow end, how are you? How are you walking? How do you move through the so shallow end? This this often happens. Paint a word picture for us. So specifically at like the lake or the ocean, yeah, or the or big the hotel pool, pool. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm talking like shallow to where you're, you're in the body of water, right? You're not just moving to the deep end. Okay. You're there, you're hanging out, you're playing. Maybe everybody's talking. You know what I'm talking about? We're talking like up to our knees, up to our waist. Uh, so let's say it's, so I think, I think where this plays in the most is like the beach at the lake or the ocean. Okay. If you were just to stand there, it's probably like thigh high. Okay. Okay. So you're, it's more than waiting. You're more than waiting. Your swim trunk is wet. For, okay. So for me, what I, my form of mobility in this area of water, I like to go fully submersed <laughs> to my head. So just laying it over. So I'm you're lay, like step, step, step. I'm laying lay it over. over. I'm now walking with my hands, <laughs> feet behind me. You going salamander? I'm going Superman. <laughs> I'm going Superman. Just 
and I'm walking with my hands through this water. I'm having a good time. Wow. It's like I'm swimming, but, yeah, but with safe. no effort. <laughs> I'm just dragging hands on the bottom. But I think there's multiple ways that I, and that I have done myself. Okay. One is the crouch walk. Okay. Okay. I'm here. I walk on my knees. I get it. That, that's probably me. That's okay. I'm you go you. knee. Yeah, yeah. But there's a thing of even above knees where you get off your knees. You're still on your feet. Okay. Okay. But like kind of butt is dragging a little <laughs> bit on sand. Crab walking in the water. I yeah. Love it. yeah. So then there's the completely, and like mine, where I go feet back on the hands. Oh, okay. There's also feet forward oh, lay it still back. on the hands. Okay. <laughs> okay. Then there is going the, exorcist. Is that the play? <laughs> That just seems dis- disturbing for everybody You're just to be. Throwing that's up weird. That's weirder than the 35 year old in the pool solo. Can yeah. I tell you the story of one of the most embarrassing moments of my life? I'd like to hear the embarrassing moment that comes on the heels of the exorcist example. <sighs> okay. So, when I was first learning to swim, uh, me and my dad went to the public pool. Where you go? Duncan, yeah. Oklahoma, yeah. where we grew up. And I was at the point of my swim lessons where. You know, I I can head underwater at this point. Okay. I know how to float. I know how to swim. You face the fear. But I'm at the point where I'm, like, learning to, like, push off the wall and glide. Okay. Techniques. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you're a safe swimmer. Now you're a strong swimmer. That day at lunch was chili dog day. <laughs> <laughs> now... My family is that a holiday your whole family celebrates, or just personally observe? <laughs> we had a lot of chili dogs growing up, <laughs> so you know, it's wolf good. wolf brand chili, yeah. shredded cheese. It's a good Tuesday, you know, Nathan Franks. And as a small chubby boy, I will throw down some hot dogs. Yeah, man. So I ate a bunch of hot dogs by the half dozen. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we went to the pool. This was well afterwards. But I push off the side of the wall, water goes straight down my mouth. Mm. And it literally felt like water went to the bottom of my stomach and then just immediately echoed back up. Mm. I don't know if you have ever thrown up in a public pool to where they have to shut it down, close the <laughs> oh, pool. No. There, bro, there were. Easily like 50 to 70 people at this pool. Everybody has to get out. The like lifeguards and my father are like cleaning it up. I'm like crying on the side of the pool. And like everybody's like walking by and it's like, there's the kid that threw uh, up. It was traumatizing. Oh, just like a little bit of mustard and cheese. <laughs> oh, disgusting. Just regurgitated. Well, you know, um, you got to think about what you eat before you swim. So after you tell a story like that in a sermon, how do you land the plane? Well, that's where I think for a lot of folks, they just immediately... <laughs> like, so in Lamentations chapter 2, so that, that's a great example, I think, for a lot of folks. We talked about quick to the text last episode. Uh, you know, for, for so many folks, they tell a great story that laughs, connects with the audience, but the intrigue isn't there to the text. So if right. you haven't heard that episode, go back last week and check it out, because there is an element of exciting intrigue to set up what you're doing. And there's the bulk of what you're saying that should be rooted quickly and effectively in the Word. But the second thing that makes a sermon a sermon here in our Part 3 series of the art of sermonizing, teaching, preaching, is that what makes a sermon a sermon is not that it's a speech and not that it has text or even the text. There's a lot of teaching moments that have text or even great uh, biblical teaching that has biblical text. 
But the element that makes a sermon a sermon for me that's really unique, the second qualifier, is that it demands a response. Beyond just like, well presented, thank you. That was what a well organized argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We laughed, we cried, and we felt something. Right. But it invites you to do something because of it. it it's the response. <coughs> uh, in some traditions, it, it's it's very clearly the altar call. In some traditions, it's you know the move to communion, but like something happens because of what was proclaimed and preached. Like it, it this is the Jesus moment of like take up your you know, your roll, your cloth, and go, right? You're like, go tell, go do, go and sin no more. Like, there is something after what you have heard that you now must live because of, mm-hmm. in light of what you've heard. And I think for a lot of folks, we don't think about that until the moment arises. And I think in the planning and preparation of sermons, there is as much thought that should be given in what we're inviting them to do as what we wanted them to hear, and I think that's a really important distinction to make is that it wasn't just the content. We last we talked about like creativity and content. You need to have good content, but if you don't invite them to do anything, then the thing that you've invited them to do by default is do you agree with what I said or not? Yeah. And I think that leaves our faith at a very heady level. It's it's the idea of did you like what I had to say? Do you agree with my opinions on this? But everywhere in Scripture, the good news of Jesus calls us to action. Like people's lives are redirected. Their careers and vocations are set on a new trajectory because of meeting Jesus, hearing from Jesus. They're healed in a way that they live differently. They're That's forgiven good. in a way that they live differently. And for so many of us, it's like, what'd you think about it? You know, have you heard the good news? Do you think it was good? Like, and it can't. And that's why I think the element that's got to come in our preparation as we plan, prepare, and proclaim is the response is rooted in the text. If the sermon speaks to that Jesus will heal us, then the response is, Have you been healed? Yeah. Well, that's a very different thing than, did you hear what Jesus said? Yeah. I think a lot of us, we center on some of what Paul taught or Jesus spoke or ministered, but to see it through the lens of what we were trying to say all along. And we see that in the work of Jesus that, you know, he forgives the woman and says, go and sin no more, require no more forgiveness, go go yeah. walk, you know, stand and walk and go. Uh, to, to, to James and John, now become fishers of men. Like in the presentation of his message is an invitation that demands a response that is related. And I think for so many of us, like we've got to think through as we prepare to teach and preach, what are we inviting them to do that is not just an add-on like, hey man, I preached a really good message out of Ephesians. Do you want to know more about Jesus? It's a fair question, but what did Ephesians say right. that was already there that you didn't have to like add an appendix, right? Like, yeah. you know, like, hey, we talked about it, but there's also this like reference chart or whatever. Like, what, what was it about in this scripture that called us to this? I mean, this is like, like the VBS moments, right? Where it's like, it's the story of Philip, the story of Andrew. Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. Who is a like a brother in your life that you could bring to Jesus? That's a great response. We don't have to come up with like, hey, do you want to... Like this, this, it's already baked into the thing that you are preaching and doing. Uh, we just have to make sure it's planned out thoughtfully enough. Yeah. And that would be the thing that I would add to this that I think is really easy to miss, that it's like... I, I think sometimes we 
in our mind, we have the like sermon outline already prepared, right? It's yeah. like opening story, text, you know, what point it, A, point B, right? Yeah, and yeah. then it's cultural like, reference, yeah, right? And then, uh, and on our outline, it'll even say like response time, yeah, we wrote in that, but there's nothing underneath it, <laughs> right? And, and and really thinking through, like, okay, what does that response look like? How are we doing that? Um, and, and I'll say this is maybe a little bit different than because uh, a lot of the context we've been talking about has been like Wednesday night for your student ministry. This is always a question that I will ask anytime I'm asked to come speak somewhere. Like a Sunday service or a revival right, or something. Is, yeah. what is what is your common practice for response? Yeah. Uh, because if if you at your church always ask people to come forward and their church – I don't know, does raising a hand or whatever, and you try to do the way that you've always done it, it will feel very like foreign to those people. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out, okay, what does that even mean? I've never done that before. Right. And you're fighting an uphill battle when people are already like nervous about just being obedient to what God's calling them to in the moment. And so like knowing some of those cultural things can really help you set you up. And making it clear. And making it clear, And I think that's where if they don't have a common practice that they give you, or if it's your own church and you're preaching on a Wednesday, like there there needs to be some clear avenues that I think are clear, but maybe at times creative. And I think that's the pushback that I would give is sometimes you may want to deviate from the usual because if they've already done that, they don't know what else to do. I think that's where, again, raised Baptist have gone to uh, a lot of Baptist camps and churches and revivals where the altar call is the move, right? Yep. Like if God moves in your life, you move to the front. But I think for some of us, like either we think that's for somebody else and not for us, or it's I've done that, so now I don't know what else I could do. Yeah, And I think part of the response is planning it, but also imagining it in a way that would be meaningful. Um, so there's two stories that I would like to share from this spring season that I've been reflecting on this summer. Um, one was the time that we spent a few weeks ago with our pastor friends. It's a room full of called pastors, experienced preachers. We still had a time of altar Call. It wasn't for the call of salvation. It was for the call of confession and repentance and prayer. And we, the whole front of the room was filled because there was a response to, I need to confess. I need to bend my knee and my will in a way in which I've made this about my own work and not God's. People moved to the front, but for a very different reason than right. maybe they had imagined before. The other is a chance I got to preach for a church this spring at kind of a weekend D-Now event. And the theme of the weekend had been around family. So Friday and Saturday services were very much the students and the leaders in the room. Well, Sunday, all their parents are there because it's the Sunday morning worship service. So instead of inviting folks to just come to the front, that was still an offer, an invitation, a response that was giving. If you want to meet Jesus, hear from Jesus. The pastoral staff was down front. I was like, you know, come to meet them at the front. But because the whole theme of the weekend had been like reconciling and parents and families and prodigal sons, we encourage parents to move across the aisle to find their student and pray with them. And it was one of those moments that like, they did it. They, they, yeah. they, they heard the word and they responded, and it was powerful because parents from all over, the balcony and the sides, moved to the student section and brought 
younger siblings to older siblings, and we're praying as families. It was very much a response to the Word, but it wasn't the typical communion or altar call for salvation in the front, but it exemplified that there is still a moving work of the Spirit mm. if, the, if the Word is preached. And I think thinking through some of those categories, that we don't just fall into the traditional trap of like, well, you only move to the front if you feel the call for salvation. Right. That's, that's what one of my favorite things at some of the camps that we get to be a part of is that they'll have a special moment a few nights of the week if you want to learn more or feel the nudging or call yeah. to vocational ministry. Because that's a real work of the Spirit. People that might have questions and may feel like they need more like discernment or resolution that like maybe the maybe the movements are the same. Move to the front, find somebody, whatever. But the the the, the calling and the response and the nudge might be different. And I think it's important for us to think through that the gospel moves and works, and we need to have some kind of way to literally embody that. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't just become a mental exercise of agree or disagree, but in the the house of worship when we gather, that our bodies get to move in the same way that the spirits have called us to yeah, move. That's good. So it's a it's an important and powerful piece. Well and I, I think I think for all of us, no matter what our practice is, realizing that like we need to be doing something along yeah. those lines, right? Like giving opportunity for students to Except Christ, like all of these yeah. different opportunities. Are, to ask uh, for forgiveness, to reconcile with yeah. a friend, to apologize to their parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think about one of our friends who's in youth ministry who they always takes the time before they go to small group that if they need to send a message or a text of apology or confession mm. to a friend or parent, it's like, while you're here, right. you have the device, you have the access. Right. If, before we go to small group and talk about how good God is in our life or whatever, if there's something we need to set right, right. take a moment right now with the technology you have and send the apology. Well, text. it's very scriptural, right? It's like leave leave your gift mm. at the altar, right? Yeah. If you're not ready to come worship, <clears throat> let's get it Let's get it right. Let's get it set. Um the the joke I always make is I've I, the amount of times that I've heard people preach on prayer and, <laughs> and, then, then, not, and then not give a chance like adequate space in this the the like meeting gathering time to pray yeah is outrageous yeah like I I, I don't get that here's all my thoughts on prayer right <laughs> okay but now how shall we. <laughs> It's the G, like, like, hey, teach us how to pray. And it's not like, well, here's why you ought to pray. It's, uh, here's a prayer. Model, yeah. your, model your prayers. Um, yeah, it's quick to that. Yeah. And, and taking space and time to, like, model it, allow the students to do it right then, right there in the room, yeah. like, practice it. That was always, I, I know it's maybe a different than response, but, like, I, I love to, like, help model things. So, like, if we were talking about, like, evangelism, like I would even talk about, hey, we're going to practice it in the room. Yeah, we're going to take some time to do that, and just know that, like, hey, it may be scary out in the wild. Right, you know what I mean? Right. We're in a contained environment, right, right. Yeah, yeah. and we'd make fun of it, you know, yeah. and 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 feel the like, hey, this, and and lean into it. Like this may feel awkward, right? Right. You're like sharing the gospel with somebody you already know yeah. is a believer. That's fine. Yeah. Like we're going to practice that. We're going to laugh with that. We're going to. We're gonna make build our, courage. Yeah, we're gonna build courage in that opportunity because we're we're doing something, we're practicing something, right? Yeah. One of the one of the responses that I love to do, um, I started a student ministry where it felt like there was a little bit of competition in the room, okay? Right, like, amongst the students, amongst the students, there felt like there was this like 
not tension, but just not not real community and unity, if that made sense. And so we started as we would talk through like different sermons on like unity or encouraging one another, we would take space and we would ask everybody in the room to, hey, you're gonna you're not looking for somebody and waiting for somebody to come encourage you. You're going to go find someone. Yeah. You're going to speak life into them, and you're going to encourage them. And my joke was always, this isn't an encouragement of, I like your shirt. Yeah. Because they didn't make the shirt, right? Right, right. Um, you're going you're gonna to really speak into them, their character, who they are, the, the, the impact that they've made in your own life, and have the opportunity to really encourage. Can I tell you, opportunities like that were really culture-changing within our student ministry. Um we saw friendships get made yeah. and healed through things like that and taking the opportunity to respond and let them respond in that way um, made all the difference. Uh, you've passed your friends. If you're listening to this, the encouragement we give this summer is to not waste the chance or the season for students to engage and respond to the ways in which the gospel is good, not just to save, but to reconcile heal, change, and restore for the students who are held captive by sin that they might be liberated, for the students who are isolated that they'd be welcomed into a gospel community, for the students who feel like they are unknown and uncared for, that they would be seen, called son, called daughter, And in that response would see family for the student who felt righteous and was far off and has come back after weeks of being gone, that they would be restored and loved. And in all of these ways, salvation would be proclaimed, saved from, saved to, saved for, that Jesus and Lord and Savior of all area of our life would be proclaimed, preached in every message that you share.